Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, health care costs in Minnesota, entertainment options for the holidays and beyond, and a closer look at, or rather listen to, holiday music. But first, the University of Minnesota football team is now in San Diego, California, where it will play in Tuesday's Holiday Bowl against Washington State. After a tumultuous few days last week, things have now shifted into game preparation for the players who will be taking part in the game in San Diego. Of course, 10 Gophers will be left behind as they are suspended. That suspension led to a temporary boycott by the team last week. The boycott was lifted last Saturday, paving the way for the team to go ahead and play in the game. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm will call play-by-play of the game on the statewide Gopher Radio Network and joins us on Minnesota Matters. Scott, there will undoubtedly be lingering effects of this situation for months to come, but in the short term, the team now has to simply concentrate on the game at hand coming up on Tuesday. Golden Gopher head coach Tracy Clays is trying to help his team navigate through some bumpy waters and says the team has blocked out any outside distractions for the most part. When you're in the building and it's football time, it's football time. We're going to concentrate we're going to work on football from film to meetings to coming out here to practice. And then we deal with school, all the other stuff, when we're away from the building. And uh, I'm, I'm not a believer that you can be a, a 24-7 or 20 hours a day just worrying about the football game. I don't, you know, we got four hours a day to do that. And if you concentrate and do your best during those four hours, I think we have plenty of time to, to get ready. And so that's all we ask of them is while they're here, we get their full attention on the football game. This Gopher team has been through a lot already this season. From way back, assistant coach Mike Sher- getting through a life-threatening health scare that was early in the year to the fathers of both coordinators passing away to now this situation which did include in-season player suspensions then no charges being filed then a university investigation that led to a player's boycott and now moving forward to this bowl game it surely was a winding weird season one is make a hell of a book you know what i'm saying that's for sure and but but two is we like you said we've been challenged all along all through the year and and uh, but we've still showed up and played and and fought our tail ends off and and like I say you know we win eight games and and uh, three other ones we got a chance on the last possession to win so no matter what the circumstances and who's lined up and played our our kids have competed awfully hard and and uh, we will we'll show up again and but it's going to take a good effort you know they're 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 a good football team and and uh, uh, you know eight wins yeah you can be just but eight wins is pretty good pretty good season for a lot of power five conferences you know i know a lot of coaches in their contracts is that uh is that you win eight wins you get an extension year you know i mean and and that's not talking my situation i'm just saying eight wins in college football yeah you can be disappointed with it but in in no way is it a bad season and now it's on to prepare for washington state a relentless team on offense and clay says his team hasn't seen much of that in recent years it'll have to be prepared you know we've never seen it the whole game coming out being a whole philosophy and uh, you know, TCU's the last team that we played that, that was much like this and, and worked at the pace and, and got the ball to their skilled athletes in space. And, and, uh, and you know, we, we could have played better when we played TCU, did we, but I do feel like we played well enough to win the ball games, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they get the ball in space. They're very good at it. They don't give up a lot of sacks. Then they have every type of screen and draw possible, you know. So, uh, and, you know, you, you look at the, the places Mike's been and, and uh, his staff, and they've done a tremendous job winning ball games. Uh, 
desperate for places. I, I think he's a, as I said the other day, is the, is I was telling somebody is that, you know, in basketball, you have these guys that press all over and try to get tip balls. And, and uh, Coach Leach was one of the first ones who changed uh, football into a, a no huddle, hurry up, you can throw it every down. And, and so he was kind of that person who tried to change the tide in, in, in philosophy. So, uh, and he's very good at it. And Clay says his team will have to be ready for some offensive gimmicks coming from head coach Mike Leach and his Cougars. You know, you just look uh, again at uh, people who, who uh, know him or been in that system, and, and uh, our graduate assistants have been through a lot of film, and, and you try to go back and through and, and, uh, and find things that they've done, and, and you put those cards in practice every day, and you know, you know one or two of them, and, and take a look at them, and, and hopefully, you know, you survive. Uh, you survive those bullets, and, and at the same time, you know, both sides will have them, and, and when you go to bowl games, you know, there's a common line that says, you know, it doesn't do any good to, you can't put them on the plane and bring them back home with you, and, and, and so uh, you usually see a few more lively plays. Clay says he knows with some of his players being suspended, that means some key people are out in the defensive backfield for the Gophers, and they'll have to be ready, the new ones. Like I say, everybody steps up a little bit, and, and uh, you know, the benefit of it, we've had more time to prepare, and, and uh, you know, is that we'll have to get as many of our uh, athletes on the field as we can, you know, and uh, it's going to come down to, again, is, is tackling in space. You know, I think we'll, we can keep the ball in front of us for the most part, and, and uh, you know, but they throw awful lot of balls within five to six yards of the line of scrimmage to good at in the back is, is a good receiver, and so uh, we got to have guys out there that, that's going to have to tackle well, and, and like I say, the field position will buy us a little bit of margin for error. Clay says a win would be a nice accomplishment. You know, nine wins is something that, you know, since we've been here, we haven't been accomplished, and now, again, you, you take a group of teams that get eight wins, and then you go to nine, that's even a more smaller group, and even uh, a more... Uh, uh, it's hard, you know. It is hard, and so it'd be a great reward for for this team and and uh, and, and, and some of our coaches for the things that they have went through uh, th- this year. But but the same thing is is that this game football doesn't give you anything. It's a great team sport, and like I say, the team that shows up most repo- most prepared and and plays the hardest and plays as great teammates is is usually the team that wins. So we're you know, they don't give you anything. We're gonna have to earn it. Tuesday's game kicks off at six o'clock Minnesota time. Scott. Thank you, Mike. Minnesota Matters will return after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Start it off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A recently released report from the group Minnesota Community Measurement finds significant variations in costs for health care between various provider groups in Minnesota. MNN's Bill Werner is here with the details. Scott, the group compiled and analyzed data from four of the largest health plans in Minnesota, including employer and individual policies. And although it does not include information for patients on government programs or on Medicare, the group says over 85% of the medical practices in the state reported to them. Here's Minnesota Community Measurements President Jim Chase. There are differences across the state in different practices around how much the average patient costs uh, over a year's period of time. That's what we're reporting. And it's been adjusted for the differences in patient risk. Um, and it's interesting both in different regions of the state, but also by different organizations, different medical groups uh, have different um, levels of cost. Can you give us an example of um, one or two that are particularly uh, interesting? Yeah, um, it, you know, it, one of the things we've been able to do uh, this year as well is look at the difference between um, how much of the differences due to to what is charged, uh, by, by, in other words, how much the medical group gets paid or the physicians get paid for each service they provide versus how many services they provide. So as you can imagine, if you, you know, your doctor asks you to come in for a lot of office visits um, for kind of the same condition or prescribes a lot of medications for you, the cost would be higher than in some other locations. Did you find um, uh, significant disparities in different parts of the state, uh, geographically or otherwise? Yeah, so um, in the the metro area, the Twin Cities, there certainly is a more competition we see. So um, the actual uh, payment levels are often lower than in some of the parts of greater Minnesota. Uh, but different uh, areas of the state are different. The northwest area seems to be a little lower cost, for example, uh, than the southeast. Let me take a, a couple of the bullet points out of uh, your summary of the report here, and maybe we can expand on these a little bit. Uh, says that the cost and utilization report shows that depending on where you go for care, that a strep test, as an example, can range between $8 and $101. How does that turn out that there's so much of a difference in cost for that? Can you help us understand that? You know, I think some of the differences is driven because people didn't pay it directly. Um, you know, many years ago, most of us were insured, and it was at a 100% level, or we were just paying a small copay. Um, so groups, it was mainly about what they could negotiate with the health plan. And different groups, you know, sort of focus on different things. Um, now we have a lot more people paying this cost directly through a deductible or through, uh, through percentage copays. And, um, you know, this is starting to show up to people when they get their bills and are much more concerned about it. Um, help me help me understand why such a dramatic difference. Say, I mean, let's just take that that strep test as an example. I mean, I, I just, you're saying that the market rate is there's that much difference between it. Yeah, I and mean, what what actual groups actually get paid by the insurance companies varies um, a, quite a bit across the state, and I think it can have to do with just different organizations chose areas where they felt like they needed to get more um, money for it than others, to get more profit, so to speak, that they could pay for their other costs. Um, but it does, uh, you know, the report shows it, it matters to shop around. If You know, you don't want to change doctors if you've got a good relationship with your provider. Um, but it's important to uh, to be cognizant of that and, and make sure that your, your doctor knows that these things matter to you because you're probably paying a lot more uh, for these services directly than you used to. And I guess this is an obvious question, but talk about the cost implications of that. If a person goes to the ER when perhaps uh, they they really don't need to or there there could be other services available. 
Sure. Um, you know, for most of us now, our insurance policies, um, you pay, not only does it cost your, your premiums a lot more when there's a lot of emergency room visits, but you pay more of that, a much higher rate. If you can go to an urgent care center or just go to a regular doctor, you're going to pay less. Now, you know, if people really need it, they should definitely go to the emergency room. Um, but often, uh, you know, your primary care uh, physician can help you understand when is it important to go um, to the emergency room uh, if you have a little time or after a procedure, uh, or is there, uh, is there some, sometimes when you should definitely go and, and be seen. There's been so much emphasis, of course, on health insurance premiums. Minsure has been the, the kind of the political uh, lightning rod for that, but just generally. Um, so this information, I assume, could perhaps play some role in reducing premiums. Uh, would, would you go so far as to say that? Yeah, abso- absolutely, because, you know, it isn't just what we show in this report. It isn't just the price difference for individual procedures that you get. But you can look and see what is a, how well does a group do for an average patient over time. And that's what really affects your, your health care premium. And everybody's paying, you know, their portion of that. So uh, it's important for the medical groups not to just focus on the price of procedures, but also you know, how much does it really cost to take care of a patient uh, in their system uh, over time? And if a person wants to access this report and scan it for their own particular area of interest, what's the best way to do that, Mr. Chase? Sure. We have information on our website, which is mnhealthscores.org. That's Minnesota Community Measurement President Jim Chase. And, Scott, I suspect this information will get quite a bit of use at the Minnesota State Capitol because health insurance premium costs will be a big focus of the 2017 legislative session that begins in just over a week. Can you believe it? Bill, it's hard to believe. We'll see what lawmakers get done this session. More Minnesota Matters after this. Hands can do incredible things. This is the sound of 326 hands playing Mozart. This is the sound of 10,942 hands showing appreciation. 64 hands building a house for the homeless. 142 hands swimming a triathlon. 18 hands winning the big game. And this is the sound of two hands helping to save a life. It's called hands-only CPR, and it's recommended by the American Heart Association. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. It's incredibly easy and effective. Hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. The traditional light bulb. A groundbreaking invention in 1879. Other groundbreaking ideas from that time, the whalebone corset, the pedal-operated submarine, and the two-story outhouse. We've come a long way since then. It's time our light bulbs did the same. Visit energysavers.gov and learn about energy-saving light bulbs. See, these new bulbs are more efficient than the old ones, like a text message is more efficient than a carrier pigeon. They last longer, too, like how we humans last longer now that doctors use antibiotics instead of leeches. And they cut down on our energy costs, because in our own groundbreaking age of aeroplanes and moving pictures, we deserve a light bulb that saves us some cash. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. As the cold heart of winter sets in across Minnesota, it's good to know there are warm places to visit featuring a variety of entertainment. Bick Smith takes us to Red Wing. It is the nation's first municipal-owned theater and one of the longest-running venues in the United States. The Sheldon Theater in Red Wing has been through it all, it seems, and continues to thrive. Executive Director Bonnie Schock takes us on a tour. And so coming through these doors here is, is the original lobby. The building was built in 1904. It was a um, built as a result of an estate gift from uh, T.B. Sheldon, who was a grain baron and had served on city council. So he was a prominent citizen. In his will, he left half of his estate, which was um, a total value of $83,000, to the city to be used for some public purpose, which he designated uh, needed to be non-religious in nature. So his widow, Annie Sheldon, made the determination to build this theater. So the theater itself became a gift to the city. So where we are now in the um, main lobby, this is all original. It consists of ornate um, design uh, in plaster work, um, phoenixes rising um, from above the doorways, um, hearts that, that and, and rosettes that signify welcoming and a range of different things, uh, lots of different lion heads and and winged angels and peacocks. <laughs> this is amazing. What did you remember when you first walked in here? And how long ago was that was it when you first you saw You know, this? when I first saw the building was about 15 years ago. Just I came down from the cities on my motorcycle and ended up here and saw a silent Buster Keaton movie um, playing to the, the Kilgren organ here. And I remember sitting in the balcony and just thinking, whoa, you know, what is this, this amazing place doing here in this little town on the river? So now I, I walk in and every time I look up, I see something different. Uh, and it is, it's so ornate and lovely. There's the names of composers, of composers, Wagner, of uh, great writers um, that range from the Renaissance period and Shakespeare to more contemporary uh, writers. Um, Wagner, you'll see, uh, actually his name was uh, blacked out or taken down during uh, World War II. So there's a lot of different things, ways that this building has walked through history. One of my favorite things in the lobby is Rembrandt's name um, is misspelled. So the artisans <laughs> missed a D. Um, so there's all kinds of wonderful details in this space. When we enter the, the uh, exterior lobby, there's an outer horseshoe-shaped lobby, which is quite unique. Um, it's, it makes it feel like it kind of wraps the building in an embrace. And uh, the house itself really is a warm uh, space. Wow. Um, so if we come all the way down in where you can you can see the... The mural, there's a mural that, that is above the proscenium arch um, called the proscenium sail um, space. All the painting and plaster, uh, detailed plaster work inside the main house is a recreation. Um, the building was um, damaged severely by fire on two separate occasions on the interior, once in the 20s and once on the occasion of a major renovation. In 1988, literally at the time that donors were gathering in this space with the leadership of the organization to take one last look before the building shut down for a complete renovation. 
donors were in the in the building until they saw it again later and there was a major explosion. And the roof lifted off of the building and fell back down on top of it. And no one was hurt. Everyone got out. But what had happened is as construction was beginning, a spark caught and the force of the pressure and pushed the roof off. And quite luckily uh, for the Sheldon, the construction was such that the roof literally was not attached, but was just there through the force of gravity. And so it's that reality of construction that likely kept the building from completely disintegrating with the force of this explosion. You know, everybody knows the story of where they were that day the explosion happened. If they've lived there here for a while, everybody has a connection to this space. It's really a heart of the community for folks who live here and in the region. And then we also are able to welcome, you know, thousands and thousands of guests from outside of the region uh, each year. The season that we're doing now is the first that I programmed here. What struck me, what and continues to strike me the most as I talk to people and get to know them in the community is this just passionate love for this place and everyone has a story everyone has a personal connection they've seen their kids on this stage they've been on this stage they've seen amazing performances of you know folks that blew them away (laughs) in this room and so the kinds of layers of history that are embedded in the walls and in the in the air and in people's memories of this place I think is is that's the key. That's Bonnie Schock, executive director of the Sheldon Theater in Red Wing. This is the height of their season, and you can find plenty of entertainment on their wonderful intimate stage by going to sheldontheater.org. That's theater with an R-E. Scott? Thank you, Bick. Minnesota Matters will return after this. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant. When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said... Our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, one in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. For many of us, popular holiday music is an essential part of the holiday season. I recently spoke to Star Tribune music critic John Bream about how that tradition began, what makes a good holiday song, and why we keep coming back to the same songs, good and bad, year after year. When did pop stars start singing Christmas songs, or when did it become popular? Oh, I think it probably turned around when uh, White Christmas became a big hit from a movie for Bing Crosby. Of a white Christmas. And then after that, you know, these, these songs have just kind of blossomed and snowballed, so to speak. 
um, and it seems like everyone records them. Seems like it's also spread across every genre as well. Yeah, I, I was listening the other day. I, I like to, in the car occasionally, listen to Soul Town, which is a serious XM station that plays old soul music, and it's like, how many versions of the Christmas song do I need to hear? Lionel Richie and Brian McKnight and Odd Infinitum. I mean, I'm happy with Mel Torme's version. That's enough. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose You know, that's a that's an interesting question as well, because some of the songs that you've mentioned here as far as White Christmas and talking about Mel Torme, uh, those are some older versions of these songs. What is it that makes a, a holiday song stand the test of time, in your opinion? Well, two things. One, it's the melody, and two, it's the message. You know, in regular pop songs, the message isn't always important. It's kind of the catchiness and and how it makes you feel, but the way Christmas and holiday songs make you feel is really important. So it's got to have a melody that you remember and a message that connects with people. It's got, it, you know, there's there's got to be more emotion in Christmas songs than there is in you know your everyday ordinary pop songs. For every good holiday song, or for every holiday song that succeeds with that criteria you just mentioned, there's probably ten or twenty that don't succeed. Uh, what are some of the strangest that you can think of that you've come across in your years as a uh, music listener and critic? Oh, where there's "Please, Daddy, Don't Get Drunk This Christmas." John Denver recorded that. <laughs> Elmo and Patsy, an old country duo, did. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. How about a more recent Kenny Chesney, All I Want for Christmas is a Real Good Tan. <laughs> and, of course, for the Minnesotans out there, there's Yingle Bells by Yogi Jorgensen. A yingle bells, a yingle bells, a yingling all the way. I should have worn long underwear in that one horse open sleigh. Are people still writing new holiday songs, and are they doing it successfully? Well, absolutely. Lots of people are writing new stuff. The problem is they're not getting widespread exposure. I think the last big um, Christmas, new Christmas hit was All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey, and that's been around for a couple decades now, almost. But everyone's still writing new ones. I mean, there's a lot of local people that are writing new ones, and they're quite good ones. When I went to the New Standards concert, holiday concerts this season, uh, this year they had Dan Wilson, who used to be with Semisonic and has won Grammys for writing hits for the Dixie Chicks and Adele. And he played two brand-new Christmas songs that he had written. And one of them, I think it was called The Best Gift. The best gift you can give me for Christmas this year. And it was just about the best gift I can get is forgiveness. He wanted his partner to forgive him for, for being away so long. He wanted his kids to forgive him for being away so much because he travels and that sort of thing. And it was a sweet, sentimental song. And I'm thinking, boy, if he could get, oh, say, Garth Brooks or maybe his pal Adele to record it, that could be a big hit. Well, another quote-unquote Minnesota musician, Bob Dylan, just within the last couple of years put out a Christmas album, and I know that you're kind of a Dylan scholar. What were your thoughts on that album? I don't know that it was necessary for Bob Dylan to put out a Christmas album, but it was part of Dylan's sort of consistent um, pursuit of American music. But hearing a guy 
who's always had a dubious voice in many people's opinion, and now his voice is kind of croaky and raspy and sort of beyond musical redemption, uh, do a, an album of Christmas music was probably not a big turn-on for a lot of people, except for real hardcore Dylanologists. And another one, just on TV the other night, Brian Setzer, who lives in the Twin Cities, not originally from here, but he's lived here for a decade. And he's got a new Christmas musical song out that's a takeoff on the Flintstones. So it's a Yabba Dabba holiday song. We've mentioned uh, along the course of the interview a few of the songs that have appealed to you over the years, and as we wrap things up here, I'm just wondering, is there one in particular that uh, that melts your heart every year this time of year? Absolutely not. Um, I don't go for particular songs. I think it's more of who's singing the song. And, you know, we I've got hundreds and hundreds of Christmas albums, but um, the family has a basket here by the boombox. We're kind of old school, so we'll throw in five, six, whatever the, the the player takes, five, six albums at a time and put it on random shuffle and just let them come up. So, you know, whether it's it's Bing Crosby or Mel Torme or Charles Brown or Nat King Cole, it's more the singer than it is the song with me for Christmas songs. So I think if you mix it up rather than having one artist straight through, it becomes a more satisfying experience. And may all Christmas be That's going to do it for this week. On behalf of all of us here, happy holidays. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.